Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome to the Monday edition, the post-week 11 edition of the College 12 Back I'm your host, Patrick Connor, with me as always, Tyler Natuna of LSU Tigers Wire. And you know, Tyler, when I decided we were going to open up the show, I thought we were going to be talking about, did James Franklin blow his opportunity? We were going to talk about the Jim Harbaugh situation. And then Texas A&M said, let's throw some gasoline on this fire. And they fired a head coach after he wins, wins a game by 41. Uh, I think if you were going to fire a guy, you'd do it before he got his team bowl eligible. But, hey, I'm not the one having to write that $75 million check. Yeah, they did it. Um, I, you know, they had been hinting that they could do it. Like, they had, you know, made it pretty clear that they felt comfortable they could mobilize that amount of money in a short period of time to get rid of Jimbo, and they did. Um, so, yeah, I mean, his buyout alone is like $76 million, um, probably going to be north of $100 million when you consider the buyouts for his assistance and stuff. And then when you add in what they're going to have to pay the new coach, I mean, like, you know, in a fully guaranteed type contract, I mean, you're like, this is going to be like a $150 million transaction all told for, for Texas A&M, which is insane, but they're doing it. I, yeah. I'm a little surprised they clipped him after a win, especially a win like that against an SDC team. Um, not really surprised overall that it happened. I mean, they're six and four and they still got to play LSU at, uh, in Baton Rouge. So like probably looking at seven and five. And I just don't think that's what it, you know, that's not good enough for, for what they did last year and where they needed to be with the talent on the roster this season. That just wasn't good enough. Um, you know, Jimbo sort of looked like it was going well. You know, in 2020, they went nine and one, you know, after like eight winning nine wins and eight, uh, nine games and eight games first two years. And then since then, it just really is, is not been has not been it. So, um, you know, kind of a, a surprising way that whole deal has played out. You know, I think we all felt like it was a pretty, uh, pretty, you know, slam dunk hire at the time, but. Now they're paying a lot of money to make them go away. My my big question here, why not fire him after three straight losses? Like, why wait a week? Did they have to wait for a certain check? And, and I don't know if you saw this. I saw this being passed around on, on social media, uh, specifically on X, um, that the 12th Man Foundation wrote a check and were giving it to Ross Bjork at halftime of this game, and it was like north of $100 million which I thought was absolutely insane. It was just almost like, hey, here's the check that we're going to give you. Now go fire that head coach. Yeah, we know he's winning, and he's going to win this game by 41 points, but go ahead and uh, can the coach next week. I I just think the timing of it is weird. Uh, If they made this decision a week ago and they were just waiting on some sign-offs, okay, I get it. But as I always say, the perception is reality, and the perception is you won a game, you got ball eligible, and then you fire the coach. But the big question now, Tyler, that we have to ask is who replaces Jimbo Fisher? Uh, Because I think we can both agree that as far as jobs available right now, this is probably the best one. Um, Now it's going to be a little bit tougher because of all the teams that they have to face in the SEC, uh, but they they have the facilities. uh, They have 
the money, obviously. Um, so they're going to be able to do some things. And let's not forget Jimbo Fisher has had the number one signing class just a couple of years ago, which his ball from grace is just ridiculous when you think about it. But when you look at some of the guys who are the best options, you're going to hear the names of of a, of a Dan Lanning, a Kalen DeBoer, that they're going to be tossed around. Do you think it needs to be a guy with Texas ties, or is it literally just get any get the best guy you can, period, because this program will recruit itself for you? I don't think it necessarily needs to be someone with Texas ties, but I do I do think that there's enough guys with Texas ties that would be a good fit for this job, and I think there's a good chance they will do that. You know, I mean, like not only is this the best job open at this moment, but barring something really surprising, you know, something we're really not expecting to see, it's going to be the best job um, in this cycle that opens by a pretty wide margin. Um, and so they're going to go to market from a position of power, you know, and that's kind of part of the other reason I don't really understand the timing of it, doing it first of all, after a win, but also just, I don't really see the need to be quick to market if you're Texas A&M because they're going to get their choice. I mean, they're off, they're going to offer more money than anyone else is able to in this cycle again, barring, you know, the retirement of Nick Saban or something along those lines. And even then I, you know, maybe they could offer more money than Alabama. So, you know, like this is going to be a, a premier job. That, that, you know, you could look at, but, you know, I, yeah. So I think looking at whether they, I think there are definitely good candidates without Texas ties that they could look at, but also there's definitely plenty that are, as I think we'll get into in a second. You know, here's, here's the funny one that I'm going to, I'm going to throw out there. What about Mike Norvell? <laughs> uh, don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I don't, I, you know, if that's the lesson Mike Norvell learns from the Jimbo Fisher story, then that would be something. Well, you you think about it, you know he's a uh, he's a guy with Texas ties, um, and and obviously he's doing well at, at Florida State. And I'm not saying that, um, that that's the route they should go, but it would be an interesting one. Uh, you know, the name that keeps being brought up, Dan Lanning. I, I see these lists. I've seen these lists several times since Saturday uh, when the when it first was announced. And I've seen Dan Lanning and Kalen DeBoer both on that list. What about uh, Glenn Schumann? We uh, co-DC at Georgia. Go get your own. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I could see it. I, I, I kind of don't think that they go with a first-time head coach, though, just because of, of the importance of this hire. Um, so yeah, a couple names that I kind of have an eye on. To me, first of all, I mean, you got to talk about Jeff Trailer. You know, a guy who has been sought out for big Texas or you know area jobs like this in the past. Hasn't taken him, but hasn't been offered a job of this caliber. I think he probably would leave UTSA if offered. You know, I'd also say Mike Elko, you know, former Texas A&M defensive coordinator, mm-hmm. doing a really good job at Duke. Things have fallen off a little bit down the stretches. They've gotten banged up. It's still a really nice two-year run he's had there. Um, you know, you could always look at someone along the lines of G.J. Kinney or Eric Morris if you want to go with someone a little bit younger, more unproven, but, you know, a higher ceiling. Or, or you could just you know, go full send and throw the money at Dion. So, I mean, like, I think there's options here. I, I, I think I, I would really be surprised if they go with someone like Schumann, to be honest, just because I don't think they're going to take the chance with a first-time coach. Here's an interesting name, um, I, I don't, and I don't know how likely it would be, and it's a guy you're familiar with, uh, Dan Quinn, uh, the defense coordinator for the Cowboys. Um, would he be interested in going back to the collegiate level as a head coach? I don't, I don't know how excited he would be about you know, recruiting wise, but he's a name. Uh, a couple other names I've seen tossed around. Again, these are just spitballing. Jed Fish. Or what about Lane Kiffin? 
I know he's a name that we bring up a bunch with Lane Kiffin, um, but we talk about the talent that he can bring in. He'll have a ton of talent at A&M. And, and you know, here's, here's a funny thing, and this is not just about candidates, but I find this funny that the year that Texas is getting ready to go to the SEC, the year before, and they look like a college football playoff candidate. And AM really hadn't looked like that at all during Jimbo Fisher's time outside of the COVID year. Is that another reason why they're why they're trying to make a move? Yeah, I mean, like I, I think it's just when you recruit at the level that he has, like that's what the expectation is. I mean, I think they're like I saw something like they're like the only team that in the last like decade or something that has landed a top you know, the, the best class in the country and didn't win a national title within four years or something crazy like that. Like they're not they're. I mean, not only are they like, it'd be one thing if they were going 11 and one every year and losing in the semi, like if they were doing what like Michigan's done the last couple of years, something like that, that would be one thing. But I mean, they're not even in that mix. They're going eight and four, seven and five, five and seven last year. Like that is, that's not where this program expects to be or where it should be given the, where, the state of the roster and, that's, and the talent and the coaches in the building. Like there's no reason for it. Oh, absolutely. Um, sorry, real quick. Sorry, just real quick on Lane Kiffin. I, I, I mean, I think Lane would take that job in a heartbeat. I think he's dying to get out of Oxford. I don't think AM would take Lane. I mean, I, I think there's a lot of concerns with Lane. I think he doesn't necessarily recruit at the kind of level that you need to to win at a place like that. You know, he's good at the portal, and that's really helped him at Ole Miss. I don't know about the high school recruiting. And I mean, I don't know. They've struggled in big games. Like there's there's red flags with Lane Kiffin that I would be concerned about giving him the kind of contract that would come with a job like this. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I'm, I'm with you 100% on that. It's just spitballing. Um, it always seems like Lane Kiffin gets kind of his name brought up uh, with these big job openings. So that's one I wanted to look at. Let's talk about some other coaching quick hits uh, as we head into our third segment of the show. Uh, Tyler... Jim Harbaugh is in a fight with the Big Ten. And as far as this whole sign-stealing scandal, um, they pointed they pointed to Jim Harbaugh. They suspended him, which is kind of funny because we didn't even talk about this. He got suspended on Friday afternoon as the team was flying to Penn State. Uh, and what's so interesting about this whole situation is the reaction of the players, the reaction of the assistant coach, whether he's crying on a, uh, a post-game interview after they beat Penn State, and, and even the Michigan school president coming out with this statement on Twitter, slash X, whatever you want to call it, he comes out with a statement on Twitter, and everybody's talking like Jim Harbaugh died. Like, the guy got suspended. But here's the other thing. They're talking about all this adversity, and this is probably the thing that pisses me off about this whole thing. It's all self-inflicted. Like, you can't scream at the top of your lungs that we're having to overcome all this adversity when you did this to yourself. Yeah, um, you know, emotional game for Michigan, obviously. Jim Harbaugh died again. Really sad. Um, tough, tough moment for those players. No, but, like, yeah, it's 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 silly. Like, it's ridiculous. Um, with that being said, like, I mean, the big – what the Big Ten did here is pretty unprecedented, and I think – I think they have kind of a, a, a spurious leg to stand on here. Like, I think that I think Michigan could be, you know, have a point in some regard, but it's kind of hard to uh, to feel too sympathetic towards them when obviously they are uh, reaping the, you know, reaping the consequences of, of their own actions, or at least their their program surrogates own actions. 
I mean, we'll see what happens here. Like, I mean, you know, obviously Harbaugh suspended for the rest of the regular season. Um, they're filing a, you know, injunction to try to, to try to block that. So, I mean, like I said, we're just dealing. I can't tell you what I think is going to happen here because I've never seen a judge have to rule on whether a commerce's suspension of a head coach for cheating purposes is valid. Like I, I you tell me how they're going to rule on that one. I have no idea. So maybe he'll be on the field uh, against Maryland on Saturday. We will see. I think they've scheduled to make a decision on Friday about that. But a lot that could happen here, but it's just a very bizarre situation. So prior to the game on Saturday, they tried to get in front of a judge to get a temporary restraining order uh, issue that would have allowed Harbaugh to coach in the game. He was at a nearby – he was at the team hotel nearby the stadium – that if that would have been granted, he would have coached the game. Well, I thought was interesting is the two judges that I saw reports that this was going to go in front of. Uh, one is a, a lecturer at the University of Michigan and an alum, and the other was also an alum. And I thought it was funny that even they, they didn't rule on it, but I think they didn't really want to get involved in that aspect of it, whereas now it's going to be injunction and, and things of that nature. So, you know, it we'll, we'll see. I will not... I will be shocked if Jim Harbaugh is not coaching the game against Ohio state to close out the year. Um, you know, but let's talk about the other side of this. And I do want to make the point that I agree with you. I, this is unprecedented. Um, and, and, and by no means do I think this really hurt Michigan. If anything, it just pissed them off more uh, to have a good game. But the, on the flip side of that, you have James Franklin who looks like once again, he's going to be, tapped out at being the third best team in the Big Ten East. If Ohio State Michigan make it to the playoff, then he will he will get a New Year's six bowl. But perhaps ten and two is the ceiling for James Franklin. Yeah, it's pretty brutal, honestly, for Penn State. Like this was the year, I mean, this was the team that people thought was going to be able to get over that hump. And it's just clearly not there. Um, you know, so some changes here. Uh offense coordinator Mike Yurkic fired on Sunday. Not really a surprise considering the way the offense performed um, in the two most important games this year. You know, Drew Alar, like, I don't know, man. It, we'll see. He's still relatively young and early in his career. He could figure things out, but it's not there right now. I mean, and maybe the change in OC will help, but what they're doing is not working right now. Um, and it's a shame because they have a really, really good defense. Like, I thought the defense – I mean – it, it had its issues against against Michigan. Like Michigan definitely tested it in ways that even Ohio State didn't, I think. But, I mean, it did enough to win that game. So, yeah, it does kind of feel like they're running into a bit of a ceiling here. You know, I mean, they won the Big Ten in 2016, haven't since then. And, you know, like I said, they're kind of just go heading for a repeat of last season where they lose the most important games and go, you know, maybe 11-2. and two, But that's not really raising the ceiling here at all. And, you know, I mean, maybe things get a little bit better after this year. Like, that's kind of your silver lining, right, is that you're not going to be in the Big Ten East anymore and your path to the playoff isn't going to necessarily entail beating Ohio State and Michigan. And a 12-team playoff also changes the the calculus there a little bit. But it's not good. Like, I mean, there's a reason he felt enough pressure to make another OC change, which he made a few OC changes over the years at Penn State. Um, trying another, another uh, direction here, but, I mean – I don't know what to make of this program right now. Yeah, the the firing of Mike Yursich did not surprise me at all. Um, this is the guy that I covered um, when he was with Texas. Uh, he never really struck me as a guy who 
um, was going to be a, a game breaker or game changer uh, for for Penn State or even at the time at, at Texas. And, you know, it's looked good at times, but, you know, in their two biggest games, um, the, the offense looked absolutely lost. And, and you can argue that he was playing the best two defenses uh, in the country when you talk about Ohio State and Michigan, if you go and look. Uh, specifically at their their scoring defense, they are the number one and two defenses in the in the conference, and really everybody's having trouble against those two teams. But at the same time, they've got to make a move there. But you know, just to me, it feels like maybe this is his ceiling, um, and it, it'll be really something to watch in the in the coming weeks, Tyler. As as we look at you know where does where do they go from here? What changes do they make? But they I think they severely need to upgrade that offense um, in in plenty of ways. It just felt like that offense was just boring, vanilla, uh, easy, easy to play defense again beca- against because it felt like they knew what was coming. Yeah, no, I mean it. it I mean it's it. You you nailed it. That's been the issue in both those games. I just way too predictable of an offense. Not, I mean, and, and, and I don't want to like not criticize Drew Aller here because I think that's part of the problem. Like, I think they are, you know, I think he is limiting the offense right now with the way he's playing. So, I mean, lots of issues to figure out there, um, but you're waiting until it's a little too late to try to figure him out. So, I mean, they should win out, but, you know, not not where this team wanted or expected to be this season. What I thought was interesting, and this is the last point I'm going to make on, the, on this game, I thought it was interesting that J.J. McCarthy threw eight passes in this game. Eight. <laughs> and not a single one in the second half. That is blows my mind that they didn't have to throw a single pass and could win a football game because eventually what Michigan has done year uh, for the last three years, it, it seems like eventually they wear you down and that's when they punch you in the mouth. Uh, unfortunately, they couldn't wear TCU down, but last year, but as we've seen time and time again, they wear you down and eventually the, once the floodgate opens, it, there's no stopping it. All right. So let's talk about hot seat. We've talked a little bit about, you know, the James Franklin and Mike Yersich situation. We've talked about Jimbo, which was the huge one. How about the other guy that was in there, uh, which I thought was like, if you would have told me that a coach that was involved in a 41 point game got fired, I would have thought the losing coach, not the winning coach. Well, on Sunday, or actually, I think it was on Monday morning, we find out that Zach Arnett is now gone. Which, yeah, not a shock to anybody, but if we're looking at the next coaches that's going to be on that list, I think there's a name or two out in the SEC that we're going to have to keep an eye on. Who? I mean, who are you thinking there? I'm, I'm, I'm now now you got me curious. Sam Pittman. I mean, isn't this? Oh, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. I misunderstood what you were saying. I, I I actually don't know about that. If that's a foregone conclusion about Sam Pittman, like he could be. I think they like him there. I think they're looking for a reason to keep him. But yeah, the the Auburn loss really killed whatever momentum they got from beating Florida. So yeah, um, you know Zach Arnett, man, like I yeah, that was tough. Like I, I get it. He it was, it was a rough year, and I don't think that really ever had a ton of like steam behind it. But you know he stepped into a really hard situation, like as hard as anyone ever will. 
I'm a little surprised they didn't give him more than one year to figure it out. You know, he made wholesale changes in terms of scheme. You know, they weren't running the air raid anymore. It really was not working. So I, I get it. Like, I think it's tough to not give him that kind of time, but this was a, a really rough season for them. Yes, it was. I, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, well, let's look at names that maybe you do agree with me on. Jake Dyker. Do you agree with me on the Washington State? Yeah, I have him on my list. They lost to Cal. Uh, they are four and six, and they're not going to a bowl game unless they beat Washington. So, and uh, I can't remember who else they play, but someone who's probably better than them. Um, so, so yeah, it's a tough, tough situation. I think Diker really had a lot of momentum earlier in the year. Now, I mean, the thing that's all, that's kind of his saving grace is the uncertainty with their program. Like, I, I really don't know if you fire a coach at this point if you're them, just because w- you don't even know who you're who and what league you're going to be playing next year. So like I, a lot of questions to figure out in addition to head coach. So Washington state has to play Colorado on Friday night. Mm. That's going to be an interesting one. Mm. Um, so it, as far as coaches out West, definitely him. Uh, Can we real quick, just before we move on, just staying out West with the mountain West real quick, couple G five updates. Boise State fires Andy Avalos. Um, they've had a couple down years, really had not been able to keep up the pace in the Mountain West under Brian Harson, and also Brady Hoke retiring um, at San Diego State. Maybe a little bit of a retirement under duress there. They've had a rough season, but just wanted to get those two out there real quick. Those are the only other two I've seen today. Um, is it retired or forced to retire? Yeah, I, I, I think I lean a little bit more towards the latter, but I don't know that, so I don't want to speculate too much. Well, right, right. It's it, you know, but your opinion and like my opinion is like when I heard retire, that was the first thing I thought of was, are they saying, look, either you retire or we fire you, go out your way rather than our way? I I don't know, uh, but you know, good point. Hey, so when it comes to, and I know this, we're we're not doing it in this segment. This is more of the hot seat update. But perhaps Brian Harson 2.0 in Boise. Don't know. Maybe they go Kellen Moore, who's another, uh, you know, former Boise State player turned coach. The only reason I bring those up is I think they probably go offense next time around. Uh, but let's go to the Big Twelve, where I have Dana Holgerson, and I also will uh, say Dave Aranda. Um, you know, just the fall from grace for Dave Aranda. Two years ago, he won a Big Twelve championship. He won. Uh, he won a uh, Sugar Bowl um, as the Big Twelve champion, going to a, a New Year's Six Bowl. He won that game. Man, but since then, I mean, nine and fourteen since that time. This year, they've lost five games by ten or more points. They've lost three games by twenty-five or more points. I mean, D- Dave Aranda looks like a head coach that is absolutely lost. And I don't know that they'll fire him because we don't know the buyout information because Baylor's uh, private school and they don't disclose that information but when i look at at baylor uh, they they look like the team uh prior to art briles arrival just lost don't have an identity um and they can't stop anybody and they can't score yeah uh you know dana i thought was maybe doing enough to, to stick around you know in the middle of the season they lost to cincinnati i believe at home on saturday which is uh, not good that's tough that probably is going to do it. I think they're going to give him till the end of the year, but that's probably going to do it. Um, and then, sorry, who is the other one you had that we're talking? Sorry. Uh, uh, Dave Aranda. Dave Aranda. Sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. Dave Aranda. I mean, like they're, look, they've, they are horrible this year. I mean, <laughs> there's no way around it. They are like shockingly bad. Um, 
I mean, they got absolutely boat raced by Kansas State on Saturday. You know, have the Texas State loss. They've got, just in general been really not a good team this year. I, I think, I, I, like I said, like you said, we don't know Dave Aranda's buyout because they're a private school, but we can estimate based on the fact that he signed a very lengthy extension after the 2021 season. I think we can estimate that that buyout is going to be pretty high. And I feel like that's probably going to save him, but I think he will definitely be a guy going into 2024 under a considerable uh, deal of pressure. Yeah, no, I, I think when you look at, uh, you know, heck, if, if he survives this year and he goes into next year, along with probably Billy Napier at Florida, there are probably going to be two guys that I'm going to be paying attention to next year just because of the expectations and what we've actually seen on the, on the field. Uh but as of right now, yeah, Dana's probably got the hottest seat in the Big 12 if you look around um, and, and right behind him. Yeah, I have Aranda. And then I, when I look at the Big 10 right now, I don't really feel like there's a lot in the ACC that we might see change unless you um, unless they do finally pull the trigger on, on Dino Babers um, up there at Syracuse. Uh, but looking in the ACC, I think Tom Allen's the next guy. Now, I know he's played a couple close games against Penn State and Indiana, obviously losing to Indiana in overtime. Uh, but ever since that 2020 season, it's just been really bad for the Hoosiers and, and that and their head coach. Yeah, I think Tom Allen, like there was a time where he looked like he was like going to do something at Indiana that no one really had in recent memory. I think that ship is entirely sailed at this point. I, I don't really know what he's got, what he brings to the table anymore there. But going back to the buyout situation, it's like 25 million. It's something insane, the buyout there. And they have money, but not like, not as much money as other teams in the Big Ten do. I really don't think they're going to pay that buyout. Like from everything I've heard, it doesn't sound like they're going to do that. I think we might be running it back here with, with Tom Allen, but it wouldn't shock me if they if they paid it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about him real quick. If that's cool, since you brought him up, Billy Napier, obviously not going to get fired this year. Um, I think he could go into, so I think the amount of pressure Billy could face in 2024 could still vary a lot, depending on what happens in these coming weeks. You know, I think if they find a way to win one of these last two against Missouri and Florida state, get to a bowl game, keep this recruiting class mostly together. They had a couple decommits over the weekend, which is a little concerning, but, um, still got the, the, the bones of the class in place. If you get to a bowl game and keep the class together, I don't think the pressure is going to be absurd going into 2024. You miss a bowl game and or see more recruiting decommitments, like he will be under a ton of pressure in 2024. Yeah, definitely not on the um, not on the uh, the train of saying that he's probably you know coaching his last year in Gainesville. I don't think that at all. But I think the combination of losing commits and not playing for a bowl game. And let's let's be honest. Florida has two tough games left. I, I felt like the LSU game might have been their best chance to win um, and get that six win and get to a bowl. But knowing that they have to play Missouri, who's red hot right now, uh, and Florida State, who nobody's been able to beat them this year, uh, that, that's a tough one. Uh, but yeah, going into next year will be something we definitely want to take a look at. All right, but let's talk about the games that actually played. We've done a lot of talk today about the coaches, right? Let's talk about some of the games that transpired over the weekend. Obviously, we talked about Michigan. Uh, we talked about the Penn State. Was there any game that really stood out to you as far as the title picture as as it pertains to 2023? 
Um, I mean, the national title picture, I mean, I'd say, I mean, you could look at the games in the Pac-12. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious now that Washington and Oregon are the two best teams. Like, this is what it's going to be. We're going to see a rematch of that. And the winners probably go into the playoffs. So, I mean, that was the biggest takeaway, you know, I, I would say there. Um, you know, otherwise, I mean, I think it's pretty clear. I, I mean, we'll see. Maybe Louisville can, can push FSU in the ACC. I think their path to, to going undefeated and making the playoffs is very, very easy. I mean, pretty much right now, you got to go beat Florida in the swamp, which, you know, they play better at home than they do on the road, but still going to be heavy favorite in that game. And then, you know, a Louisville team that we'll, we'll see. They haven't really been tested yet. Um, so we'll see. We had a Washington team who survived Utah. Um, that, that game was close. We saw one of the biggest boneheaded plays of the year uh, with the uh, – yeah, with the dro- dropping the ball as you're cr- before you crossing the, he dropped it at like line. the five man. I, that's like the earliest I've ever seen someone drop it. Uh, it seems to be more and more common occurrence ever since I saw Deshaun Jackson do it as a member of the Philadelphia Eagles. It feels like it, it's constantly happening, and I I understand they want to celebrate, uh, but at at the same time, uh, a couple other games I thought uh, you know not close Georgia over Ole Miss. Just absolute beat down. Um, and then obviously Alabama beat down Kentucky. Jalen Milrow looks like a very dangerous weapon right now. Those two teams are going to be going to the SEC championship. So for the second time in three years, we'll see that matchup. Last time Alabama won and then ultimately lost to Georgia in the national championship game. So, so that'll be very interesting. You know, Alabama wins the SEC. I don't know that you can keep them out of the college football playoff. It'd be a really tough decision there. Yeah. Uh, LSU, Florida, we talked about it a little bit. My God, Jaden Daniels, just the show that he put on in that game, throwing for over 350 yards, rushing for over 200 yards. That 85-yard touchdown, like, that he ran, I was, I was just amazed at how he looked. And, again, you know, tap the brakes a little bit. It was a, a, a Florida defense that's struggling, but – if you talk about a player made, who made a Heisman statement on Saturday, it was Jaden Daniels. Yeah, I mean, look, Florida's defense is struggling. There's no doubt about it. I mean, that does not explain Jaden Daniels single-handedly accounting for 606 yards or something like that. I mean, he had, he's the first player in FBS history ever in college football history to go 300 to throw, throw for 350 yards, run for 200. That's absolutely unreal. He actually ran for 250 too. Like he was almost at 400 passing and ran for 250, more than 250. So, I mean, absolutely unreal performance. I mean, if that didn't win the Heisman, the Heisman for him, like I don't know what will. I mean, he's sh- like, I mean, it's a joke to me, honestly, if he doesn't win the Heisman at this point. Like his, the, I mean, the way he plays, like I understand LSU's got struggles as a team. Their defense is bad and that's why they're going to lose probably, you know, three games, four games. But I mean, when, there's no one that can do what Jaden Downs is doing right now. He's the most electric player in the country. It's not even close. Absolutely unreal. Um, and I mean, if I were an LSU fan, just a bummer that they haven't been able to put even a top 75 defense around him because that probably is good enough to be a playoff contender. But instead, they've got one of the worst defenses in the entire country. As you saw by the fact that Florida still went for like 500 yards in this game. I mean, Graham Mertz was good. They ran the ball. I mean, this was a shootout, and it was closer than it should have been, given the fact that Jaden Daniels did something nobody has in 150 years of college football. That just tells you how bad the LSU defense is run by Matt House and why he was on my coaching hot seat list. I kind of had to throw another coordinator on there. 
Uh, but you're right. Just watching the game, what Jane Daniels did, 372 yards, 234 rushing. Uh, Brian Thomas Jr. had a fantastic game. Uh, I'll tell you the one, the game that little surprised me a little bit, because if you looked at the betting lines, this was a this was a pick game, like basically pick the winner, a pick them game, and Missouri absolutely boat raced Tennessee. Like this game wasn't even close, and and that that shocked me. Uh, about as much as watching UCF just absolutely destroy Oklahoma State on Saturday. Those are the two games that really stood out to me um, in terms of how good Missouri is and just where I thought we were going to see the Big 12 title picture. I thought we were on our way to seeing Texas-Oklahoma State. Now I'm not so sure. We'll get into the title picture here in a minute, but um, just have to give props to Brady Cook in Missouri and that job that uh, Coach Drink is doing there in Columbia. Yeah, Missouri's legit, man. I mean, like Drinkwitz, I don't think there's a, a coach in the country that's changed their perception more in a positive way um, than Drinkwitz has this season. I mean, between the way he's recruiting and the way they're playing right now, I mean, like this look, all of a sudden looks like a team that's really well poised to be successful in the new SEC, which is insane. I don't think anyone saw that coming, coming into the year. Um, you know, they obviously beat down Tennessee. Offensively, Tennessee's got problems. It's, I mean, this is, I think, the first game we've really seen the uh, the drop back or the step back I should say on offense this season hurt them um and it came against you know a pretty solid Missouri defense which is why I don't love Florida's chances going on the road there next week um I mean yeah but Missouri's a really good team the Oklahoma State game man I I I, don't, I just don't know what to say that's just a result that I would have never guessed would have happened um and what's wild is is we'll get into in a second it might not really impact their chances in the Big 12 that significantly so Kind of insane, but we'll see. I mean, you know, we talked about it. You talked about it a little earlier. Like, I mean, I think it's pretty clear Alabama and Georgia are hitting their stride. I think, you know, we've had a lot of fun this season in college football, but we might just be heading towards one of those two teams going Death Star mode and ending it. Yeah, and here and let's let's talk about the Big Twelve title picture as we wrap up this edition of the College Twelve Pack. Uh, it's a convoluted picture. It's it's crowded. Uh, I, you know, I think. When you look at it, there's only one team that absolutely controls their destiny. It's the Texas Longhorns. They went out there in. Nobody can stop them. Because at that point, they'll be 11-1 and one and 8-1 uh, and one in the Big 12. So that's all they've got to do. They, they play Iowa State in Ames. They play Texas Tech in Austin uh, to close out the year. Now, the teams behind them, let's talk about Oklahoma State. They controlled their destiny coming into this game, but the loss to UCF kind of opened it back up. So their path to the title is Texas has to win out, and they need Kansas State to beat Iowa State because Kansas State uh, or Iowa State has the tiebreaker over Oklahoma State. So that's what they need uh, to get in. Not as complicated as what I thought it might be uh, considering – the loss to UCF this weekend. Well, so, I mean, yeah, I think Oklahoma state, so uh, we're kind of workshopping through this in, in real time. So bear with us, but I think Oklahoma state, so they're five and two, there's a four way tie for five and two, right. In the big 12. Right. Am I correct in that? I think. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so Oklahoma state finishes the year out with, I believe Baylor or sorry, Cincinnati and he BYU. I want to say it's two of the newcomers. I want to say it's Cincinnati and BYU. Um, regardless, it's two games they should win. Kansas State finishes out with 
they've got one tough game, but they're also not in the driver's seat because they lost to Oklahoma State. But Iowa State finishes up with Texas and Kansas State. So Iowa State technically could control their own destiny here, but they have by far the toughest path to finish out. And all Kansas State, or sorry, all Oklahoma State needs is for Iowa State to lose, I think, one of these last two. And then obviously they have to win out. But they would then have they would then get in because they would have two losses. Iowa State would have three, and they would have the tiebreaker over Kansas State, even if they won out. Right. But they need Iowa State to lose to Kansas State because if they lose to Texas, that adds another team. Or if they beat Texas, that oh, adds another team true. to the tiebreaker. Yeah, so then it really point. messes things up. And 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 really, uh, if you're an Oklahoma fan, you're rooting for Texas to lose to Iowa State. Uh, because if you look at the Cyclones, like you said, they might have the easiest path to the title for any team that's not Texas, right? Uh, they need to win out and have the Sooners lose a game, and they're, they're basically in. Uh, Oklahoma has to play BYU and TCU. So not exactly a tough stretch down there. They've got to win both games, have Texas win out, and then Oklahoma State needs to lose a game uh, because of the tiebreaker that Oklahoma State holds over Oklahoma. Yeah, I think I think Oklahoma's odds are pretty are pretty uh, slim here. I I, just, I really don't think Oklahoma State loses another game. I think that they're going to be in position at ten and two. I think they're just going to have to sit and see what happens with Iowa State and Texas and and you know and Kansas State and how that how those games all play out, but. I think that, you know, I want to, like I said, I want to say it's Cincinnati and Houston that they play to finish out the year. So they should be okay. Maybe it's BYU and Cincinnati. But BYU. BYU and Cincinnati. So, yeah, yeah. So they should be okay in both those games. Like, I, I'm not too worried about it. So, yeah. And then we have Kansas State, who have to beat Kansas and Iowa State. And they need Texas to lose once. That's how they get in. Uh, but, of course, if Texas loses, I believe, based on the tiebreakers, Texas might be out. It might end up being K-State and Oklahoma uh, if, if it fell the way that it needs to fall. There's a lot that's got to happen. So I think the easiest path that we'll talk here is Iowa State winning out or Texas winning out. Now, I'm more apt to believe Texas will win out versus Iowa State, especially now that Quinn Ewers is back for Texas. And, I, you know, I, I think this is interesting, and I'm just going to pass this along. I saw Orange Bloods, uh, which is part of Rivals, is reporting that Quinn Ewers is likely going to be back next year, uh, just be, I guess because of the injury concerns and not having, you know, missing some games for NFL draft purposes. I don't know that this will actually happen, but that would be quite a story considering most people, I think most people thought next year would be the year that we finally get to see Arch Manning. Yeah, that's wild. I I hadn't heard that. Um, so that's that's news to me. Finding out right now that that's been reported. So that that'd be um, certainly a big boost for them going into their first year in the SEC. Uh, we'll see how that ultimately plays out. But yeah, I mean Texas. You know they got Quinn Ewers back on Saturday and were a little shaky against TCU. I I admittedly wasn't watching that game super attentively because I was kind of more focused on um, you know LSU, Florida, and Alabama. I mean Georgia, Ole Miss, but. I mean, yeah, like I think, you know, Texas has still been a little shaky. I think we'll see. I mean, maybe Quinn Ewers is still kind of getting back from a shoulder injury. Like that's understandable. Um, you know, we'll see how they look down the stretch. And, uh, you know, Iowa State's going to be a tough game. Like that's – they're a good – they're a solid team. Definitely better than we expected them to be with, you know, losing or uh, starting quarterback to the gambling stuff and all that before the season. Yeah, that that, that game against 
Iowa State's going to be interesting and tricky at the same time uh, because one of the bad things that came out of that TCU win uh, was the mm. loss of Jonathan Brooks. He tore his ACL. Yeah. Um, so obviously he's not going to play this year and probably not going to play first half, maybe the first three quarters of next year, depending on how the recovery goes. Uh, so they're, I mean, but let's not forget Texas has some running backs. They have Jaden Blue, Keelan Robinson, uh, CJ Baxter, the five star running back they signed last year. So they've got the guys behind them. But Jonathan Brooks was a big part of that offense. So some guys are going to have to pick it up. But, you know, overall, I think you have to like, uh, what they got going on there in Austin, and we'll see how this all plays out. Uh, it's coming down to the stri- It's coming down to the wire uh, in most of these conferences, and we'll continue to monitor that uh, each and every week. But that'll do it for this edition of the College Twelve Pack. Uh, myself and Tyler will be back on Wednesday. Get you ready for a. Um, I don't know. Would you call this a cupcake week, Tyler? It's kind of looking like a cupcake. It's week. not. It's not the best weekend of football we've ever seen. It's not, but, but that's just going to make it more fun as we get it, get ready for Thanksgiving weekend and the games that are going to be going down. Uh, It it is going to be interesting and and one that we are all going to want to watch. And then we get the championship games early December. And then who doesn't love army Navy that second week in December, the the game that everybody's going to want to watch. But uh, for Tyler, I'm Patrick. We'll see you on Wednesday. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.